Hey, I'm Daryl Etherington, and you're listening to Found. I'm here with my all-star teammate. Jordan Crook. When I shoot, I score. That's a good sports <laughs> metaphor. It's, a, it's not a metaphor, I guess. It's just a reference from sports. Just using some of that vocabulary. It's appropriate. I'll tell you why later. But first, remember, this is our weekly podcast where we speak to a different founder every week. They tell us all about what it's like to be a founder, to create a company. Jordan, entrepreneurs, what what have you learned about them from our conversations? One of the things that we've learned is that even if it's fourth down, they have conviction. They're going to go for it. For the touchdown. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They're not going to punt. They're going to go for it. Hail Mary, no problem. Being around people like that is always nice and inspiring. Like, what's your life like? Yeah. And so the, here's the reveal of why we're talking about all the sports metaphors. Our guest this week is Rosalind McClarty, who is a co-founder of The Gist. So The Gist is a sports publication, a media organization. They actually do newsletters, podcasts, and a blog. And their focus is on more coverage of women in sports and also of sports just targeted for women and for audiences not served by kind of mainstream media, which tends to be more masculine. It's a very interesting idea, in part because sports has never appealed to me. <laughs> the part of the pitch is like, it's not just that the gist is aimed at women, it's aimed at people who don't traditionally connect with sports as presented. So Jordan, what did you think about our chat with Rosla? Yeah, I mean, when you first told me about the just the existence of this product, I was super duper duper skeptical. I think you remember that. I was yeah. like, I don't understand the problem. I think we covered like a lot of that. So I thought that was good. Like, I wouldn't say that I'm gung ho, but I'm less, much less cynical because I think it's being approached from a very thoughtful place. Yeah. And as someone who's like been into sports my entire life, it's an interesting exercise for me to get in the framework of well, what if you didn't know Right. What if you were Daryl? Things you did know and you wanted to. Yeah, exactly. Good. Well, you can be convinced for yourself, listener, because we're about to hear it. Here's the starting whistle. Let's add a whistle sound. I can't whistle. (laughs) We'll add a whistle. It's time for the tip off. It's time for the kickoff. There you go. Those are those are both sports things that are real. We're at the first hole here at uh, Pebble Beach. Augusta. Augusta. Nice. Good job. A new one. Welcome, Rosalind. It's great to have you here. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. I spoke to you pretty recently, actually, because we covered your funding round in TechCrunch, but the business definitely struck my interest. And also, I wanted to, to have kind of a longer conversation with you here with Jordan, who actually likes sports. So that helps, too. <laughs> Rosalind, so can you tell us a bit about the gist and, and the company that you founded and, and started? We create sports content that's all by women and for all types of sports fans. We say we're all about leveling the playing field in sports. And that means a few things to us. It's bringing long, absent female voices to the forefront and really centering women's voices in sports, creating equal coverage for male and female athletes. And it's really making sports more inclusive and and welcoming and accessible and fun and and relatable and and female for you know people that don't necessarily fit that traditional sports fan mold practically what that means we have a three times weekly newsletter that gives you the gist of everything that's happening in sports and a really fun irreverent female voice we have a now 
twice weekly podcast just expanded wow. this week actually we do one once weekly and so twice weekly sounds like a lot it's definitely a lot for my co-founder and our head of content ellen she's managed editing the newsletter and producing and is the host of the podcast so it's a lot for her but we're growing the team so that helps but yeah, the, the podcast, it's called The Gist of It, and it allows us to dive deeper into you know certain topics that we want to go beyond the gist and that our audience really cares about, like places where sports intersect with gender, social issues. And then we're also across social media and have daily content on all of those as well. So that's kind of the gist of, of what we do. The gist of the gist? The gist of the gist. <laughs> nice, nice. I like the name. I think it's a really good one. You guys have a great domain too, don't you? Oh, it's the Just Sports, the Just Sports, right? Yeah, dot com. Yeah, the Just Sports dot com. Can we talk about the name and why you chose it? Honestly, we just kind of like came up with the name because I think the initial concept for it really was to give you the gist and invite someone in that the regular way that sports have been presented can feel overwhelming or, or intimidating or really right. dry and, and long winded. And so we kind of wanted to appeal to that casual fan or, or someone that that doesn't necessarily resonate or, or appeal to that more right. like dry exclusive format. I think over the years, we definitely have expanded from just giving the gist. It's no longer quite as quick and, and quippy because our audiences ask for more from us. But but it's an on-ramp essentially, right? For like, if you're just like newish to sports or whatever, like you can kind of get in the mix. That's the idea. Yeah, exactly. I think where it's at today, you know, it really appeals to any kind of fan, whether you're a more casual fan or you're an avid fan. There are things about it that are, are different from traditional sports. But yeah, the, the idea was initially to just to make sports more accessible for people that had felt excluded from sports. Because really, that's the experience that we had prior to starting the gist was, you know, growing up being into sports and, and playing sports ourselves, but moving to Toronto to start careers in, in the business world and wanting to be a part of that community that sports can provide and feeling excluded from it. And, and like, mm -hmm. it wasn't for us. That I get. Maybe I have more perspective on this than Jordan, because like, I feel the same way when I look at the sports fandoms or whatever, like they seem they just seem like inaccessible because it's like you have to have so much foreknowledge to come into it. It seems like in order to be welcomed by the group, like like sports fans are not like, at least in my experience, are not known for like, oh, cool. Like you're a casual sports fan who like doesn't really know that much about it. Like yeah, come on in and like, let's, it, it's no worries. Like, we'll, we'll talk about it. Right. It's like it's a lot of judgment. You don't know who XYZ person is. Yeah. I'm thinking about like sports center or something. They'll have like the rundowns or whatever. And then it'll be like a menu they're going through and like this thing happened, this thing. And that's like their bullet point delivery of the thing. But it's not like Rosalind, like what you're talking about, where it's like, oh, we're going to assume maybe no foreknowledge or like it still comes with a lot of baggage attached to our expectations, whereas it seems like the gist does not have that, right? Yeah, I think with SportsCenter, it kind of assumes that you've been watching the last like 10 years of SportsCenter or right. kind of have an understanding of what's going on already, whereas we curate and we try and contextualize the stories that we talk about. So... We don't cover like everything. We handpick the biggest stories that we think you need to know about that are happening in both men's and women's sports. And we don't assume you have a background. So we, we give you the context and the background if it's needed for you to get something out of that story. And we tell you like why you should care too. Yeah. And I think that's 
that's kind of what's different. Yeah, I'd love to know, like, what is the threshold, right, for what's a story? Because if you think about, like, news in the world of sports, there's more than even, like, behemoths can truly cover, right? Like ESPN mm-hmm. and these big guys. Mm-hmm. And so there has to be a filter. And then my kind of follow-up question, we're trained specifically not to ask two questions at once, but this one I'm going to do right now. <laughs> I'll try and keep track of both. So the first one is, what's the filter? The second one is, like, what is like a specifically just story, mm-hmm. right? Like we think about this a lot at TechCrunch, right? Where there's like mm-hmm. a story that's happening that like is ours, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's perfect for us and our audience and the way we write it is gonna be better than the way other people write it. And it just like fits. Like what is a gist story? Like I'm thinking a little bit of like Naomi Osaka and what happened with her in the last week. Like that feels very <laughs> gisty from what I know. But yeah, that, those are my questions. Yeah. Okay. Well, you're, you're spot on with the Naomi Osaka because that, that was the main topic of our podcast that came out today. Our co-host kind of gave the background on what happened and gave their opinions on on the two sides of, of that story. Like things like that. And like I said before, like anywhere where sports kind of intersects with, with gender issues or, or, or social issues, something that's like more than sports, usually our audience tends to really care about and you don't always find that in other sports reporting or or news necessarily and so i think Mm -hmm. that has turned it into an area where we can really differentiate ourselves and where our audience has begun to trust our opinions and and giving the female perspective and and maybe a different a different perspective on those things going back to the first part of the question the filter i'm not the best person to answer it would be be more so for our content team but there's only trying to pick the stories that like you're going to feel confident going into your day knowing that you know the top things that that are going on in the sports world and that people are, are going to be talking about. And a lot of it comes kind of like source from our team. So if you like step into our team Slack, there's like different channels for all of our different channels. So like Twitter, Instagram, newsletter, podcast, and people on our team are constantly putting in ideas of the things that they care about. It's an all female team. So stuff and it, it's usually is pretty representative of what our audience is interested. Our audience isn't shy about DMing us over Instagram stories that they're interested in or, or sending feedback to the newsletter. So, and then it's kind of up to our, our content team to, to sift through and decide, you know, these are going to be the ones that are important. And it depends on location too. So our newsletter is also split out by Canada, US, and a bunch of different sports cities across North America. So people care about different things based off of their location too. Yeah, for sure. Here in Toronto, we had, I was when we were recording this, we just had the Maple Leafs thing. <laughs> the thing being... <laughs> lost <laughs> in round one of the playoffs which they tend to do uh <laughs> be careful yeah. daryl be careful buddy well i'm not gonna say anything else about it it's a, it's a everyone's in morning across the city here but like i saw it happening and i'm like there's too much noise about this but at the same time I'm like man i wish i could participate somewhat in that because <laughs> right now it'd be disingenuous for me to do because people would be like daryl we know we know you don't care you don't have to pretend yeah <laughs> Everyone always is going to know about you, Daryl. Can't hide it anymore. He put it on the podcast. <laughs> no. So I have more questions around the content. Sure. And I'm probably going to need to stop at some point because we'll have to talk about your story as a founder. But like one of the things that I'm curious about is politics and how that goes with the gist, mm-hmm. right? Because like, unfortunately, the media landscape is like you can't kind of escape politics and uh, particularly in the u.s Mm -hmm. like how divided our our country is and then you have this extra layer where like sports kind of many sports bridge politics right like there are people who are both like on the far right and the left and all in between that love sports and then there are some sports that actually do skew somewhat Mm -hmm. politically right 
And You're so, referring to NASCAR. <laughs> I actually, yeah, NASCAR fits in that. But I even like the NFL to some extent. And yeah. so I'm just curious, like, how that's something that you guys think about. Because you already have this layer of, like, okay, social issues, like gender, anything that has mm-hmm. to do with gender. And then there's also, like, the kind of landscape that I just painted. And I was just curious how you guys think about that. Mm-hmm. Particularly an issue like I, I know that this has been big in the news, like trans women playing sports, mm-hmm. right? Like that seems like something that's right up the gist alley. And like, how do you guys go about that? Do you have a standpoint? Do you have a perspective? Does it try to be objective? How do you think about that? Yeah, it's definitely not something that we shy away from because it, like you said, it, it sports have been very involved in in those discussions, and I think it's our our job to kind of amplify athletes' voices and the stands that they're taking and putting their opinions out there because they are, you know, influencers in our in our society and mm-hmm. are standing up for what, what they believe in. And so I think we definitely want to be a part of the conversation from the standpoint of, of amplifying their voices. I think the way we we go about those discussions around like politics or yeah, tr- like trans athletes, we definitely like, on something like the podcast, we definitely try and, and give both sides of the story or both perspectives, but there are certain things where I would just say like the just is very like pro-human rights. And so we do have a more progressive tilt, I would say. And that's something that resonates with a lot of our audience. There are some people that don't resonate with that at all. And those people unsubscribe or we hear about it and, and that's totally okay. But I think we would rather be loved or hated for taking the sand that we do and, and doing it well than just trying to stay like straight down the middle and say like right. sports and politics don't go together and we don't talk about that. Yeah. And there's plenty of places where you can get that already, right? Like that's not an uncommon path to pursue and to try to remain completely disentangled, right? Like you see that all the time and people bend over backwards trying to do it. And it ends up having the opposite effect where you're like, well, you've clearly taken a very aggressive position on this by trying to avoid any position whatsoever, (laughs) right? So I I think it makes total sense to do it the other way, especially like even from a business perspective, it's also just like, hey, this isn't really represented in the market. So like, why Mm -hmm. don't we do this? Right. I mean, we do a similar thing, right? Like we don't try to just report startup stuff. Like we try to like inject personality and sometimes that can be political. I mean... I don't want to get too political on this podcast, but the, oh, let's do it. Let's get the Trump you. years were <laughs> were pretty wild over here because you know our newsroom is not conservative leading organization as most mm-hmm. aren't. I wouldn't say, but like that's a risk too, right? Is like when you take perspectives like that, like there are the, the sports teams themselves, and especially when you look at like management and stuff, like they really try to like do that same gymnastics of like, oh no, no, no we're not involved mm-hmm. in the politics or whatever. So. Is that something you're concerned about at all? Or like like getting set up with like athletes or managers or whatever for interviews? Like, because that's a way that you can, if you stating opinions like that, like they might be like, oh, well, we don't want to get into that because they're too political or something like that, right? Has that been a concern or was it not really part of your strategy overall? No, it's not. Yeah, something that we've been concerned about. I think for us, like we've been lucky to be like a, a startup and be independent and not have anyone like yeah. telling us what we can or can or should say or be influenced one way or, or the other to to shy away from certain things. I think the athletes that resonate with kind of our, our content and our opinions, like hopefully those are the people that eventually we can have access to like once we, you know, build our brand and our audience and are, are really attractive for 
for athletes to work with, like the ones that make sense for us to to work with, hopefully will resonate with kind of our content and our, and our opinion and, and it will be a good fit. That's our hope. If you're listening to Found, you're probably already super interested in startups and the overall startup ecosystem. So we've got a great deal for you. We're going to offer you 50% off either a one-year or a two-year subscription to Extra Crunch. Extra Crunch is TechCrunch's premium product offering. And when you go there, you'll get deep dive interviews with some of the top founders in the industry. You'll get market maps on specific verticals and some of the most exciting areas of growth in startup land. You'll also get uh, surveys of some of the top VCs in different areas, including different geographies. So you can subscribe to Extra Crunch at extracrunch.com. That's probably the easiest way. Or if you're already on TechCrunch, follow the links for Extra Crunch and you'll get a prompt to subscribe and then just enter that code that's found, the name of this podcast, during checkout and you'll get 50% off on either a one-year or a two-year subscription. So let's go back then, like Jordan mentioned, to kind of like the start. Like I am really curious like how you even got the idea to begin with. You mentioned like you were working in sort of the business mm-hmm. sector, right? In the finance sector. So it like a lot more money than media well, yeah, organizations. Yeah. Exactly. By the way. Like can... I what in the world as two people who have worked for media organizations. Speaking of, for, for plenty most of, of sad our experience. <laughs> yeah. From just general depression. What what made you want to start a media company? Uh, yeah, that's it. That's a great question. I don't think we knew. I don't think we knew fully what we were getting into at all. And I don't think we, when we were coming up with the idea, we weren't thinking of it from like an analysis of like this industry would make sense to go into. It was more so approaching it from the pain point and how to solve it. So I guess, yeah, going back, like we, the three of us, um, myself, Ellen and JC, my two co-founders are all friends from school. We took business together and we're working in different areas of of financial services and consulting in downtown Toronto. And it was really in that setting that we observed how sports, both in a professional and, and personal social settings, sports can be this incredible connector and can be so amazing for building community and, and bringing people together, whether that's in the office or with your loved ones. But also how for us, it could feel somewhat exclusive as a woman. and. It sucks because you, you really want to be a part of that and you want to use it for building relationships in the workplace or you want to intrinsically be interested in it. But we kind of dug into why it wasn't resonating for us and the way that it, it was for some of the guys. And the industry has this massive lack of gender diversity. Less than 4% of coverage is on female athletes. Less than 14% of sports journalists are women. And so it was kind of no wonder that it wasn't resonating for a lot of women. And it was around the same time that, you know, we were seeing companies like The Skim or Betches that were doing a really good job of developing these authentic relationships with female millennial or with niche audiences, but we weren't seeing that done in sports. And so, you know, we asked around to to our friends and, and people kind of in, in a similar demographic or audience that we thought we could go after. and was a pretty widespread problem so you know we thought we were kind of onto something so we decided to start it the one thing you mentioned there that i think is like maybe even more significant than people realize is the workplace stuff right like because it's Uh it's one of these things where it ends up being the you know like unconscious bias thing where like oh 
someone's going to get passed up for promotion versus somebody else because maybe they share an affinity for the Edmonton Oilers. <laughs> That's a talkie team. It That's is. a real team. <laughs> wow. Cool. <laughs> You can see it for sure, right? And you and and this is one of the ways you see it in a lot of ways, obviously. But this is one of the ways where it would seem to be like the barrier to entry would seem minimal because it's like it's also something that individuals can take action on to change if they want mm-hmm. to, right? So that is one angle where like it's about equity in a larger sense that I think a lot of people realize is like having access to these things because I think that's one of the weird things about sports, and I'm totally gonna go a little bit soapboxy here, but like it's a way to exclude people that is like socially acceptable. Right. Because it's like, Oh, well, it's not like a guy or a girl thing. It's like a sport. I, we like sports. They don't like sports. Like, so whatever. Right. But it's like, no, no, no. You've just couched it in something that is like somewhat palatable to general mm-hmm. audience, but it, it's definitely discriminatory. Mm-hmm. Right. It's just like hidden under a layer of whatever, but is that kind of what you were doing or like, did that come into it at all? Yeah, d- no, definitely. And that's a, that's a good way of, of putting it and thinking about it too. I think, I think um, like that is kind of the pain that we, that we experienced and you just articulated it in a, in a really good way. But for you, like out of school, like working, especially in that industry, that's another industry like Bay mm-hmm. street or whatever here in Toronto, which is roughly equivalent to, to mm-hmm. like wall street in the States, right? Like that is a, Probably, I'm assuming, I don't know the stats, but I'm assuming it's a male-dominated industry with a lot of the same Mm -hmm. problems that would be in the sports industry. Is that true? Did you see that coming out of school? Yeah, no, absolutely. I I guess, like, if you think about it, yeah, like, it's a gender inequitable industry that's using this other kind of, like, gendered oppressive tool to continue oppressing the other gender i mean it's also smart on the business side though right like that's the other thing about it and that's the other thing that we talk about a lot of times or hear from a lot of times when we're talking to entrepreneurs and investors is and there was a great tweet thread or series of thoughts i think posted maybe as a medium article i'll try to find it included in the notes but about women's health right and she was saying you know it's not a weird or niche thesis to address the needs of 50% 50% of the population. People call it niche, but then if you really think about it, it, it isn't, right? So how do, how do you think about that, especially in your role? Because you're kind of like more on the business focus side. How do you think about the market opportunity? And how did you think about that kind of like in those those early days? Yeah, we, we think it's huge. I mean, there obviously are many women like yourself, Jordan, that are sports fans and that, you know, have adapted or, or like sports is presented but then there's like a ton of other women that have just grown up like whether it's just their experiences in society or it's the media or whatever piece of it that has made them feel like traditional sports as it as it's presented today is not for them and so that's a massive a massively overlooked audience right and, and we didn't see anyone doing anything to address that so it just felt like a huge white space to go after I have another content question. Like, do you do onboarding to a new sport type thing? On our on our website, we have we have guides to like a sport, or it can be like to a specific event. We have FAQs and glossaries. So if we ever use sports jargon in the newsletter and don't define it, then we'll, we'll just link back to our own glossary that explains it. And then we also do kind of primers for individual sports events that are coming up, like. A big like events. the beginning of the season right. or at the beginning of the playoffs or a tennis tournament or, or whatever it is. That's super smart. It's like really cool evergreen content. I also think that like the news isn't nearly as 
well, it kind of ties in, but like for me, what I love about sports is like how many layers down it goes in terms of like strategy and mechanics. Mm-hmm. Like you can look at something like I I got really into Formula One mm-hmm. in the last year or so. That all seems very straightforward. Like if you sat down with no knowledge of Formula One, you'd watch a race and you'd be like, okay, it's the first car that does 63 laps, mm-hmm. right? Like that is all that's going on here. But like they're like layer upon layer upon layer of like strategy mm-hmm. and like mechanics and driver emotion and like all of these different things that are playing a role. But if you don't understand those layers, then it's not really that fun to watch. Same thing with like football or any mm-hmm. sport, right? Like if you don't have the the gist of the <laughs> of the actual strategy involved and how complicated they all are, it's just like flat, mm-hmm. a flat experience. So do those go super in depth, those primers and stuff? Like do they... For the NFL, for example, do you explain kind of like all the nitty gritty rules that are involved? Because there's so many stupid <laughs> rules involved in football. and Or is it just like, here's how football is played kind of in the most basic sense? Yeah, it's a, it's a little bit more high level, I would say. And and sometimes we take the podcast episodes too to, to give like a preview of something where you can go like a little bit more in depth. But like the FAQs would be something where, you know, you could look up like what a really specific, you know, play or, or stat is. Yeah, we try we really try and balance what people are interested in. I think it definitely could be an opportunity for us, like in the future, to continue building on on what we have if it's something that our audience is is asking for, for sure. Yeah. But what's there is very fun. Like it makes it very enjoyable to learn these things. And some of it's pretty it's definitely like in depth things, right? Like mm-hmm. you're selective about what you present, but the things you present there are like crucial things to know. I'm looking at the football one as well, but like, I like that you also used a gift from Friday Night Lights, the greatest <laughs> television show ever made. <laughs> yeah, I was wondering like how much other content gets wrapped in. Like, you know, like I explain everything through analogies. So I assume that like, if you're trying to like boil down something that feels foreign with a lot of foreign concepts and words that you use a lot of like, oh, it's kind of like when this happened on this TV show or whatever, like something that people can yeah. relate to. Yeah, definitely. We we definitely try and make it relatable and tie in references to other like pop culture analogies that would resonate with people for sure. And I also love how the links to people and stuff goes to their Instagrams as opposed to like <laughs> their Wikipedia yeah. entry or something. Yeah, or they're like ESPN listing or something. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, that's the thing with our audience too. Like, they really are interested in like who the athletes are as people, and so that's something that we we definitely try and do in our content too is is tell their stories and who they are as like human beings and like who's their family or who are they dating or something that they did outside of sports too. So when you when you're looking at monetizing this, because this is kind of the the question that Jordan alluded to, but like when you look at the business for the way you looked at mm-hmm. it to start, it's like, okay, look, huge unaddressed market. But then there's the other part of the business that we talked about a little bit, which is media businesses. Mm-hmm. They have a fundamental problem in terms of revenue models overall, right? Like mm-hmm. they're always a challenge. So how do you look at that and what kind of unique opportunities are opened up for you because you're addressing this audience in a way that nobody has done previously? Yeah, I think we've had a pretty unique opportunity to work with brand partners because we have a, a like a, a really valuable audience, but also we're kind of like the gateway for certain brands to be able to reach female fans because most sports outlets are really heavily male dominated in, the, in their audiences. So, you know, 
in the past, it's been great for like beer brands to go after a male audience through advertising at the, during an NFL game. For example, like FanDuel is one of our brand partners. And that's something where like pre just me would have looked at FanDuel and been like, I don't know what that is. I want nothing to do with that. I have no, I have no idea how to sports bet. Not a big enough sports fan. And so, you know, we have a special way of introducing those brands to and, and advertising them to our audience in a way that pulls them in on considering something like FanDuel that they never would have really thought of before. Yeah. And and teaching our audience like how to sports bet and creating an environment where a female fan would be interested in and confident in doing so. So I think it's like things like that where we kind of have a unique opportunity with brand partners and, and to monetize the business. Yeah, I can see that being huge, especially for for those brands too. They must realize like we've largely been serving only 50% of the population until now, right? So we have this huge... Uh, what do they call it? Blue ocean space, right? Like where we can mm-hmm. go in and like, but then is it jarring and have you, maybe this is something that you're already working on, but isn't it jarring for your audience to then go and f- encounter this thing that's been geared the way that all traditional sports media ha- has been geared? Like, are you working with them on that and how to get over the transition into like, okay, this is a whole new audience and maybe you need to serve them in a slightly different way, the same way that we have been doing? Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. And that's like part of the value that we provide to our, our brand partners too is like strategizing with them. Like how do we take sports betting or fantasy or something that like feels totally uncomfortable and new to our audience and present it in a way that they'd be interested in it. So with Vandal, for example, like we had just like a just exclusive NHL fantasy and so it was all just like women in our community and it felt like a more comfortable environment. And we did like some social engagements where we were just creating like really like fun, funny, like social video content, introducing FanDuel to our audience. So it's finding ways to like bring them into our content and the way that we talk to our audience and like build that relationship with them in a way that feels like more, more authentic and again, like more, more accessible and, and, and fun. And I get fantasy sports is another thing that I really have very limited understanding of. Um, but Jordan, like it, it seems to me like the way that you do your competitive sports and then like you go in there and you're in battlefield or whatever it is. And people are on the mics, like just being absolute awful people. Like yeah, the communities, <laughs> I would imagine the communities did a lot of like social media enabled fantasy sports things might be similar, but it, it sounds like you can like create ways where like, okay, well, you don't need to worry about that because we've created a space that is probably more welcoming than your traditional one, right? Yeah, absolutely. Do you guys look at, do esports? We have an esports guide and that is it really for now. It's like unlocking a whole nother galaxy of sports, right? Because it's not <laughs> like you can be like, oh, esports and like there's this one thing that people yeah. do. It's like. There's like a hundred of them or whatever. Yeah. I just think it's interesting because I think esports is probably one of the only sports in the entire planet that there truly is no physical differentiation between a female player and a male player. Mm-hmm. And though esports doesn't necessarily look like that right now, mm-hmm. right? Like the potential for it to be like a truly co-ed sport mm-hmm. is huge. So it just seemed like an interesting one for you guys to like be early on. Yeah, no, it's a good point. And Definitely something that's on our our radar, and it's a question we've gotten from a lot of potential investors excited about esports. So it's on our radar for sure. 
But it's also a focus question, right? Because you're a pretty small team, so I would imagine it'd be hard. To- <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, definitely. We um, we've been really focused, kind of on on our our core things that have worked for us, and are only now kind of starting to look at ways to expand, which has worked out well. But it is it is a small team, and we have had a very lean way of operating up until now, just not being like a venture backed company. So it, it definitely has been very very focused. So let's talk about the investors. Like you mentioned, potential investors have have asked about that. Potential investors love throwing ideas <laughs> at people. That's like one of their favorite yeah, things to do. <laughs> exactly. Just like us. <laughs> but there's no money on the line here. No, no, it's all good. <laughs> what else did you find with the investment talks and like that process? Uh, like, how was that for you? And and what kind of did you learn about it as you went out to to actually get some BC funding? Yeah, it was interesting because I feel like in our first. In our first couple of years, we went through a lot of different incubators and accelerators. And so we really felt like part of that startup community. And so got a lot of advice really to like go the venture route. And it felt like just from what you see in the media and whatnot, being a startup, like that's what you're supposed to do. And so, yeah, a lot of, I think our like earlier conversations, we got, we got a lot of feedback, like, what about esports or like, what's the technology you're building? Or like maybe not even understanding the problem or the audience that we were setting out to solve a problem for, which was interesting. We ultimately decided venture capital wasn't right for us based off of the way that we wanted to build the company kind of at our own pace and on our own terms, I guess, and in a way where we could kind of control our own destiny and focus on building a sustainable business first and foremost. But we we were really fortunate to to find like a lot of investors along the way that have been willing to willing to invest. So there's been various accelerators that have been a part of that. We raised friends and family like pre seed round really early on, and most recently our most recent round, which we consider I guess a seed round, was a combination of angel investors and strategic investors. Yeah, that's a good point to make is that like you avoided traditional capital V, capital C venture capitalists, right? And you went with alternative funding things that we can often, and I mean, we're guilty of this as well, but like people often blur them together, but they have very different attributes and also very different kind of like advantages and disadvantages, right? Mm -hmm. So it sounds like you were very conscious about like, we don't want to go venture. We want to go to these sort of like alternative investment approaches that maybe better suit our business, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And like we were totally being told that like we should go the the venture route, and we're fortunate to have some mentors that had done it differently, and so it could be kind of like a role model of a different path that you could take that really pushed us to think about it critically instead of just kind of going with what the status quo is and kind of what you see. And so we're happy. Ultimately, that's that's what we ended up doing. But what's the main advantage of that? Is it is it an expectation? Is it in kind of like what you know those investment partners expect this the trajectory of the business to be, or the ultimate sort of like result of the business to be? Is that kind of the main advantage? Yeah, I think you know we, we were fortunate, kind of in in the different like programs that we went through to meet a lot of different entrepreneurs and, and kind of hear what that can look like on on both sides of things. I think one thing that was like less appealing was kind of like the the power law with VC where, right. you know, one or two companies in the portfolio will make it and, and the rest are considered to be like duds. Yeah. Even if you're like, you know, a, like relatively successful business, just not maybe not necessarily growing at, at the pace that they 
would want. Yeah, like a static, like revenue positive, or you know, not even static, but maybe like increasing incrementally rather than exponentially. It's like you're you're nothing, right? Like you're chaff. Yeah, yeah like we're, we're doing well, and we're growing fast, but I don't know, it, like growth at stake or sacrificing to everything else, like culture or I don't know, just having like a little bit of flexibility in how you you want to to grow things and kind of retaining your own control and and perspective in your ability to carry out the vision that you set out to do. Those are all things that are really important to us, I think, in that decision too. And then I don't know, like in the in the most recent round, like we were able to find a we were able to find the capital elsewhere. So we were like, oh well, why not? Yeah, just push that one down the road. Like maybe you have to contend with that at some point. But Yeah. It's yeah. good to have the optionality, I think. And it sounds like you can also like you, you can better control your destiny in terms of like like those suggestions we talked about, right? Like and we've talked a lot, Jordan, on like Extra Crunch Live and stuff where, you know, the investor will jokingly say like, oh, like I brought this up early on, like, you know, don't worry about that so much. And the the entrepreneur will be like, but that's the core idea of my business. Because <laughs> they have it in their mind already. They're like, you know, I like you. And there's this one thing about your idea that I like. And then everything else is kind of like out the door. I don't really need that. And later I'm going to convince you to change it and it's going to go my way. Right. And is that something you saw when you, when you were hearing these kind of suggestions at East and like the esports thing, like, was there this attitude of like, well, we can, we can make something work out of this. Like maybe you don't have it, but we can make something work. Yeah. I mean, esports aside, like, especially on the technology side of things too, like there's a lot of like, where's the technology and how is that coming into play? And it, it kind of made us feel like, well, it's not like absolutely integral to the to the solution and like really like our voice and our brand and our content is our IP. And so maybe the fact that you're suggesting that there needs to be like a whole other layer of technology on top of it to make it attractive means that you're not like understanding what we're trying to do here. Right. So yeah, there, there was like, there was a bit of that. That's a great point. The, and another one where it's just like, I just want to, I just want to <laughs> <laughs> complain about this for a while, but <laughs> People really undervalue that side of, especially in this industry, in the technology industry, right? But people super undervalue the cumulative effect of all of those things. And it's something we see obviously daily, right? Like, because mm-hmm. it's like, well, I mean, you could, those things are seen as commodity products or commodity value, right? It's like, well, we can bring that, we can bring voice, like we can replicate voice. We can just remove all you and then like put somebody else in. But the tech stack is the thing that's not replicable, right? Mm-hmm. Or that is defensible. But I don't know why that's assumed, right? I don't, because it, it seems to me that that's not even like borne out in practice or in history or anything. And I think you can make something totally unique out of voice and direction and like editorial perspective and things like that, right? Mm-hmm. But I, I'm glad you were able to find people that, that you could convince that to. And I just tell us who they are so that we can. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, we were, we were very fortunate to find people that like really understood like what we were trying to do and, and believed in, in us and kind of our vision of how to go about solving the problem. And I think it became easier as we got traction and we were able to prove that like, yeah, what we're doing and like the voice and the brand is what's resonating and allowing us to grow and it's working. It then, became obviously a lot easier to bring people on. Like it's easier to prove it when you, when, once you've done it and are able to show that, that traction, both with like our subscribers and on the brand partner side of things. But it did, I guess, allow us to like, I guess, handpick 
investors a little bit more that filled certain skills gaps or right. were able to bring incredible like knowledge or value to the table in a lot of different areas. So that was was one nice thing, I guess, about having like lots of different investors and, and more female investors too. Like that was something that was really important to us was to, to have more women on our cap table. It's cool that you're able to do that too, operating in the sports industry, right? Like it wasn't like you, you were even able to mirror that in your, your capitalization, which would be hard too. Cause you would assume, especially going after like strategic investors, it would be like, you know, a lot of like mm-hmm. sports industry dudes or whatever, which I'm sure you have a fair share of, but it's good that you have a mix too. Cause that would be challenging. Yeah. We've been lucky to be able to connect with some like great women in sports and they tend to have like, come up in the industry and really understand and can get behind it. So it's it's nice to have those people that are passionate about it. The last thing I really want to talk about is just kind of like going back again to that, to that kind of like starting moment now, especially with the perspective, like, would, did you think of anything that you would like, Oh, we, we would have done this differently or like, wow, we really like media was crazy. I wish <laughs> I finance or, you know, was there anything that you would have just changed at the outset or did you feel like that was what was needed to do then? You know, there's not anything that I would change in the way that we've done things because I feel like I'm really happy with where where we're at now. And even though like certain things probably took longer than they may have otherwise, if we had learned things faster or maybe gone about things in a different way. You wouldn't have learned that stuff, right? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I feel like that's so much like what being an entrepreneur is too. Like there's just so much that you don't know and there's a lot of mistakes and there's a lot of challenges but that ultimately i think is what allows you to get to get to where you are all right so that was our conversation with Rosalind, all about the gist what do you think now jordan are you a believer are you ready now to sign up for the newsletter so i don't think the gist is for me to be honest but you are well served by the existing options yeah i feel like i am To be honest, I don't read a lot of sports news. Like I watch sports because I already understand how they work. Mm. That kind of like in a way precludes me from being a customer, but I could see and I feel like I know many, many, many potential readers or audience members for the gist and I'm gonna tell them about it. Yeah, I think what I like most about it is their approach of like having seen this huge like blue ocean opportunity and just were like, well, we gotta, we got to do it. We got to start to see if there's something there. And I think what's really telling about them and what was most interesting to me about what Rosalind was talking about is like how quickly they were able to have conversations and attract brand partners like sports betting sites and things like that. Right. Like it's like FanDuel. Yeah. FanDuel. There's huge potential here. Like we just have largely ignored like 50% of our audience. And I think that's where they're real ability to unlock like a lot of future potential is so i'll be curious to watch as they do that and try to convert those people and have conversations that are like lasting and engaging with these customers and then bring them over to advertisers who never previously had access right that's where the real business is that's what i'm excited about yeah 100 percent. hey we've got a special new surprise for you it's not going to be a surprise anymore after we tell you. And <laughs> right that's now. cool. You just outlined how surprises work. Appreciate it. We want to open up the lines of communication a little bit. You know, like we get to talk and you guys do most of the listening. And that's not how relationships should work. And I really look at this as a relationship. So what we're doing is we're introducing a Google voice number where you guys can call in and maybe talk to us about 
you know, any questions or thoughts you have on starting companies. Maybe you want to tell us kind of your founder story or about your product. Dig deep. Really just give us like your your most interesting stories as a startup founder would be cool too. Like your your darkest day as a startup founder or your greatest achievement. Uh or something that happened that you never expected would have happened in a million years, but something cool. Yeah. The weirdest product idea. I don't know. I mean, th- really, it's your imagination that is the limit. You want to give them the number, Daryl, or we just... Oh, I guess there's a phone <laughs> number, too. That, that's how you call us. And the number is 510-936-1618. That's 510-936-1618. I was going to do the alphanumeric code, but I don't remember those. Like yeah, Klondike. I'm so glad that you did Alpha. That. just confuses things <laughs> even more. But we do want to hear from you folks. So call us. Give me a call. Call me maybe. <laughs> Found is hosted by myself, TechCrunch News Editor Daryl Etherington, and TechCrunch Managing Editor Jordan Crook. We are produced by Yashad Kulkarni and edited by Grace Mendenhall. TechCrunch's audio products are managed by Henry Pickovet. Our guest this week was Rosalind McLarty, co-founder of The Gist. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, and on Twitter at twitter.com found. You can also email us at found at techcrunch.com, and now you can call us at 510-936-1618. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week. <laughs>